There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business Today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. I have to admit that I have been fascinated for ages with the training for top athletes. Um, Particularly for me, it's about the mental aspect of just imagine facing endless hours of practice, injury after injury, having to recover from that injury. You win some, you lose some. Just the sheer mental stamina of staying at the top of your game and competing at the top of your game, I think is a fascinating process. And I think we have a lot to learn about top performance by looking at athletes. So with that in mind, that's what we're going to focus on today. And my guest today is, I think, uniquely qualified to speak to this issue. Stuart Wilkinson's driving force is about using his skills and passion and experience to enable both business leaders and athletes to be the best they can be. So he coaches and mentors tours and works with top athletes, both members of the GB triathlon team, as well as young triathletes that are sort of trying to build a pathway for their own performance. And he's competed himself in five Ironman challenges. So he's got the sports side of it. But in addition, he spends his time working with CEOs and helping them commit to world-class performance as well. And I'll just add that one of Stewart's passions in all of this is helping people find their sense of purpose along the way as part of the driving force. So, Stuart, welcome to the show. Thanks, Wanda. I've got to say, um, I'm really excited that you're interested to get feedback from the uh, front line here in the UK. Absolutely. Always. So here we go. So let's start with the athlete part of it. And what I'm interested in knowing is how does this work for athletes? So you like to help them be the best they can be, to borrow a phrase that we know well. So give us an insight into what you know are the keys that drive top performance in the sports world. Yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, And I think what I'd like to do is set out a very simple model I use to explain where top performance comes from. And if you can just visualize a very simple chart or graph uh, and think about the left-hand vertical axis and put a P for performance there and then just visualize the bottom horizontal axis with an M for motivation. And when you sit down with uh, an individual athlete or a team or indeed anybody in any domain and you say to people, okay, if you have zero motivation, where will you be on your performance line? And instinctively and obviously, they say, nowhere we'll be at the bottom. So you can very quickly put a little cross in the bottom left-hand corner of our chart. Conversely, if you then say, okay, if you're super excited and engaged and motivated by what you're doing, where do you think you'll be on your performance? And again, everybody instinctively goes, okay, we'll be at the opposite end. We'll be right at the peak of our performance. And so we can put a little cross in the top right-hand corner of our chart. If you then put a little dotted line between those two crosses, you get a diagonal uh, line across the page. And when you ask people individually and as teams, where do you place yourself? 
in terms of your motivation performance. Very often you'll find teams will plump for the middle and say, well, yeah, we're reasonably motivated and reasonably successful. And you may get a little bit of variance from individuals, either a little more motivated and successful or a little less so. Um, but you get this incredible correlation, regardless of who you're talking to, whether it's a CEO, a team, a sports team, uh, or even individual students I've done it with uh, when I give guest lectures at a local university. And once you start to make that correlation between motivation and performance, you start to open up a different way of looking at how to improve. So how, okay, I get this. I'm intrigued by this. And I get with athletes, the drive to do this over and over and over again has to be enormous. But can you give me an example of what this ideal performance motivation really looks like in practice? Yeah, uh, you know, it's inevitably, if you work with athletes over many years, you get endlessly intrigued by what motivates them. And there's, um, uh, there's a theory that was set out uh, in a book uh, in 2009 by a guy called Dan Pink, who I'm sure you yeah. you will know, or probably personally, uh, and your readers are, will, uh, your listeners will probably have read his books. But in 2009, he produced a book called Drive, and in there he set out a very simple explanation of motivation, which I think holds very very strongly, uh, and that is there are three forms of motivation. One is survival, which we all get instinctively. The second is external or extrinsic motivators. So with athletes, uh, we're thinking about maybe medals and results or times or, you know, the approval of a coach or the love of parents, things like that. They're really important motivators, particularly when youngsters are joining the sport and they're starting to get inspired and excited by it. But they're only motivating to, to a point. If you really want to achieve to the very highest level, uh, what Dan Pink suggests and what I have seen in my experience is that you have to engage people into their intrinsic, deeper motivations. And within there, um, he sets out three drivers of those deep, intrinsic motivations. And, and that is one, autonomy. The second is mastery. And the third is purpose. Now, these are three topics that I know you talk about regularly on the show um, and I'll briefly summarize those from an athletic point of view as I see them. The first is uh, autonomy is hugely, hugely important to an athlete. We're really looking here for ownership. It's very, very important that they learn to make this transition away from coming to, to training because mum and dad are bringing them down or their friends are there into actually wanting to be there for themselves and potentially taking ownership of getting mum and dad up in the morning to get them to, to training and to take care of their nutrition and hydration and all those sorts of things. So ownership is really important. Mastery is the journey of learning, um, and we'll be talking about that in much more detail as we go through the show, I'm sure. And then the final piece is purpose. Um, again, something I'm very passionate and interested in. And this is really, in my experience, about helping uh, individual athletes to understand who they are as people. Um, once they understand their identity, when they know who they are, they'll know what to do. Um, and obviously that's an evolution as they grow um, to understand how they think and what, what really uh, connects with them at a deep level beyond just the athletic journey. Uh, it's important that we put that in context of a wider purpose. So, I can imagine most people who are not top athletes themselves, competing, performing, Olympic-type athletes, 
um, have would believe that the reason you compete is to win. And certainly winning is part of it. But you're talking about something much deeper than just winning as a sense of purpose. Yeah? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. That, that in the absence of understanding the athletic journey in the context of something wider, it has a grave danger of falling over. And I've seen that happen. It's, um, it's very difficult. It's difficult for the athlete. It's very difficult for the support team around them. Um, but when the goal and the purpose just becomes the, the performance in itself, uh, there is nothing to lean on uh, in, in times of crisis. And, uh, and when that falls apart, it can fall apart at a very high level. It's, it's, it's very, very difficult for people. Um, and in those situations, it's, it's a case of almost taking the athlete right back to basics and rediscovering their love of sport and trying to understand where it sits in a, in a deeper position in their life. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I'm intrigued by this one, and it certainly resonates with the thing that we see in top performers everywhere I look, that this deeper sense of why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's something more than just getting that medal or just getting that accolade or just winning the trophy at this particular point. We see that over and over and over again in our best performers. So give me an example of an athlete you've worked with and kind of what they discovered about their purpose beyond just the sport yeah i, I mean I, obviously numerous different examples there's a guy um we're working with at the moment and it, it's very very interesting what he has landed on for himself is that he really feels passionate about trying to bring the world together i mean that's one of the beauties of working with young people is just the the, the sort of stretch goals they set themselves are beyond imagination and what he really wants to do is help people around the world to find their purpose and to find common ground that crosses borders uh, and nationalities and religions and things like that and tries to bring people together. And he sees the opportunity that success as an athlete will bring him name and profile, which he can then use to hopefully affect um, good change in the world. Now, that's a super deep purpose. And of course, it puts everything into context. Suddenly, an individual result doesn't seem as important as the ultimate purpose and goal he's striving for so you can start to engage in a much longer term process as opposed to getting caught out with very short-term wants and needs for for medals um okay. and i find that that's incredibly motivating to work with somebody with that that level of depth yeah it's um last week we did a show with melissa Schilling. Melissa has studied game-changing innovators, so people like Steve Jobs, Ben Franklin, Marie Curie, people who did made major innovations that changed the world, in effect. And one of the fascinating things about all of the people that she studied is they have this deeper sense of purpose. So, for example, Marie Curie was not just about discovering radiation. She was about saving Poland. And that's common. Here we are with innovators who have this deeper sense of purpose, and you're telling me it's the same. It's that deeper sense of something beyond just the immediate goal and achievement of the win that gets them to push past obstacles. Okay. All right. So, Stu, you know, you must have to look at at hundreds of athletes, young athletes come in to you, you and working with you and working with your group routinely, and some of them you'd look and say they have what it's going to take to be a top performer and some of them you say they're going to be a good athlete but that's it so what's the difference between a good athlete and one that can make it to the olympics and even win gold 
Okay, well, I, I'd take I'd take that straight away back to those three drivers of intrinsic motivation. So, on the autonomy front, those athletes that really go a long way, they take ownership very very early on. These are the guys who want to be at practice early. They're they're the ones pulling mum and dad, as I said, out of bed to make sure that they're on time. They are the ones talking to the school about maybe changing their curriculum and their arrival times to accommodate their training. They're there solving the problems to ensure that they can be at training and to be the best athlete they can be. So you see that from a very early age. Um, The purpose side of things, um, as I said, is an evolution. Um, They tend to be very reflective, prepared to take on board new thinking and and understand how they're operating and to understand themselves at a deeper level. Um, But the real difference, I think, over time, those are two very important points. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you before this idea of think of those two things as bookends and the mastery piece, this big body of work that an athlete has to go through to become world class. You know, that's that's, that's the bookcase. If we don't have autonomy and purpose at either end, sooner or later that those books are going to fall over. So they're very, very important. But the the differentiator really is in this mastery. Um, and just to t- touch briefly on the nature versus nurture debate, which always goes alongside this sort of world-class performance idea. Uh, undoubtedly, genetics has a component in, in what differentiates the very best athletes. But um, you can't get away from the fact that um, this amount of work and practice that has to go on uh, will differentiate people over time. And there's a tremendous book that was written uh, on this subject called Peak by Anders Ericsson. Mm-hmm. And that, that, if you've not come across it, it really yeah. documents the lives of many successful people. And he's the guy who, who started to sort of see that 10,000 hours was a, a turn point at which world-class performers were were emerging but the critical point in that is that he talks about purposeful deliberate practice now this is really important to understand and i think it's very important for business it's not just knocking a tennis ball over a net to somebody it's actually engaging in something that has a very real purpose it's staying very much in the moment we know how challenging that is um indeed it's so intense mentally that a lot of top athletes have to rest during the day to to rest their mind not just their body it is very very difficult work uh, and this is the sort of work that the best performers engage in for a long period of time and put that in context 10,000 hours is 20 hours a week training for 10 years so that starts to put in perspective you know just the sort of commitments you have to go through as an elite athlete and that 10,000 is the start of the of the differentiator many go on to 20,000 and more so it's a long journey. It's people who are in there for the long term. And those people tend to have a very strong sense of purpose, clear, ambitious goals, and a very much a sense of, of being in, in ownership of their journey. Okay. So this purposeful, deliberate practice, it sounds, you know, I, I know what my purpose is and why I'm trying to do it. I know what cause I'm solving and I'm really willing to put in the hours and so on. But you mean a lot more than that. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who put a lot of hours into practicing. Um, there's a lot of age group athletes out there who, who you know, have a, a reasonable level of success in their world. But but really, that that level of practice is very very difficult to engage in. And to be honest with you, um, one of the things that that 
any athlete who really wants to get to the top these days has to do is to engage um, a world-class coach, somebody who understands the work that needs to be done, somebody who can give the athlete immediate feedback on how well they're doing the particular practice and to challenge them and to know how to get those adaptations over time to, to get the very best performance out of them. And this is why this whole journey is about trying to be the best you can be. Nobody knows what the ultimate outcome will be. All we know is, go back to that model, if we focus on performance and outcomes, we absolutely will not be the best we can be. We need to be focusing on the drivers of motivation and then allow the results to come as a, as a result of that, those motivators being followed. All right. So intense focus in the moment so that I'm staying into what I'm doing right now, not distracted in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, hiring a world-class coach who really understands the component pieces of what's going to make me great mm-hmm. and who can show that to me and adapt it to me and kind of give me constant feedback on where I am and what else I need to do. Yeah. And a greater sense of why I'm doing this, why this matters to me. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And then a, a commitment to the long term. Okay. Um, again, this is a big differentiator. Uh, it was a great quote I heard the other day that people routinely overestimate what they can achieve in a year and underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. And there's, there's one great truth. There's a super coach, uh, our lead head coach uh, I work with, who said the other day that so many people are in a hurry, but you know, evolution takes a long time and it doesn't matter how much money people want to spend or how quickly they want to become a world-class performer. You cannot skip evolution. You have to go through these adaptations physically and go through that learning mentally to be the okay. best you could be. Okay. All right, and we're back to this notion of 10,000 hours of practice, maybe 20,000, maybe even more than that. All right, Stu, we're going to take a break at this point. Um, so with me today is Stuart Wilkinson. Stuart is a performance coach working both with athletes and with business leaders. In his specialty, he's done a lot of work with uh, young athletes in the U.K., and with members of the GB Great Britain Triathlon team, he's also competed himself in five Ironman challenges. And in addition, he, in his company Iron Leaf, works with CEOs and the top teams of businesses to help them improve their performance for the long run. So we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Serju Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Stu Wilkinson, and we have been talking about what it takes to be a top-performing athlete, someone who would compete in an Olympic um, event. And as I've said, Stu is an athlete coach working with young, and a mentor working with young triathletes in the UK and members of the Great Britain triathlete team, as well as business leaders. So we've been talking about what it takes to really succeed at the Olympic level. And one of those is this notion that there has to be a stronger sense of purpose and you have to have the willingness to take ownership at a very early stage for your own development. But then in between those two bookends comes this whole thing of purposeful, deliberate practice where you are in the moment, concentrating hard. You're willing to put in endless hours. So 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours, to get to where you want to be. You work with a world-class coach who understands the pieces that need to happen and can break that down. You're willing to take the feedback and you get the commitment for the long run. And now I understand why many of us never make it to world-class athletic <laughs> performance. Um, so, Stu, let's talk for a minute about the psychological side of sports. There's an, uh, it's an interesting phenomena for me as I talk to people who are sports psychologists and the coaching that is going on at the moment with top athletes about the psychology of competing. So tell, tell us what you're finding on that one. Yeah, I mean, sports psychology has really emerged very strongly over the last uh, few decades. Um, and, and what we're really trying to do is to help uh, athletes, as again, from a, from a young age, to understand how they think. Um, they're going to go through a lot of emotional stress uh, on that journey to becoming the best they can be um, and really understanding why they feel the things they feel, um, how to overcome them, whether that's fear or a lack of belief, um, those sorts of things that start to emerge. It's, it's trying to help them make sense of those things. Um, I myself uh, are not um, qualified as a sports psychologist as such. That forms part of what I do and, and part of what we do as a coaching team. Um, my role extends a little wider than that because there's a whole lot of other stuff that we, we have to help an athlete with over time. And that can be do, uh, to do with, as I've said before, their relationships with school, uh, the transition of their relationship with parents from being dependent to independent, uh, the transition and understanding of their relationship with the coach they're working with, who again, you know, becomes uh, shifts from an authority figure into a partner, 
uh, uh, over time. So lots of different relationship changes over time. Of course, you know, they may well get in their own personal relationships and they have to think about money and where they live and all these sorts of things. There's a, a big, rich uh, number of things. And let's not forget, we've not talked about injury and then some of the challenges that come with that. Athletes need a big support team. That includes sports therapists and things like that. So for sure, sports psychology is really, really important. Um, okay. But it's only part. It's not everything they need. Got it. Well, it sounds like an awful lot of what you do. If you think about the relationship with school and the relationship with parents and the relationship with a coach and the relationship, a whole, whole host of pieces in that one. Let's go back to this piece about how to help athletes understand what they feel and what they fear and how to overcome it. Can you give me an example of how that has worked? Yeah, I mean, you know, really fear, as we know, that's part of being human. And um, uh, even the very best athletes experience fear uh, and anxiety, particularly as, you know, big important events uh, uh, come upon them. The thing that we're trying to do with uh, young athletes is to help them understand that fear is only there in a friendly way to try and protect us. It's a, a natural instinct. And if they can start to see it as a, as a friend and not an enemy, to actually embrace it and acknowledge it's there, and then to put it to one side and, and uh, really turn to processes and the things that they know that work for them logically and focus their attention in the moment to those processes, that will help them to put the fear to one side. Uh, and they can come back and talk to those fears later after the event is finished, by which time, of course, very often um, the fear has subsided. Um, so that's at a very simple level is, is what we're trying to do, is, is to whatever these experiences, uh, unpleasant experiences they may be feeling, is to understand that a bit of anxiety and fear is good, gets you alert and ready for competition, but not to let it control you and disrupt the quality of your performance. And the way to do that is to focus on the processes. I love that. It sounds like for anybody trying to get outside their comfort zone, as the title of the show says, <laughs> and recognizing the fear and anxiety and being able to put it aside sounds like a brilliant scheme. So you talk about a process. Can you give me an example of a process an athlete would use that would get them ready for competition to deal with the fear and anxiety? Yes. I mean, it's, it, it, again, another big part of what an athlete does is to start to uh, understand the process that that, that work for them. So, for example, we provide our senior athletes with um, uh, what we call a race preparation plan. It's a model where they can start to note down the things they're going to be doing in the run-up to an event, um, in the hours and minutes before the event, uh, then the processes they'll apply throughout the, uh, the engagement in the competition, and then down to the detail of in the minutes after they've finished and then in the day or so following that. So everything is is worked through from a physical point of view. So there may well be some tapering in terms of their training or they may well train normally right into an event, depending on how important it is. Um, it'll cover the, uh, the physical nutrition and uh, conditioning side, stretching, mental preparation and, yeah, controlling the emotions uh, acknowledging that they're going to arrive um, and you want them to arrive. It's important that you have that. But to find ways, this is where the ownership comes in and experimentation, find ways to deal with them. Some athletes need a bit of music to get them revved up, ready for a start. A lot of athletes need, you know, maybe some quieter music to keep them calm. And some athletes, no music, but put headphones in to 
to signal that they don't want to be disturbed and don't want to talk to other people. So lots and lots of different processes that it's important for an athlete to develop and take ownership of uh, and to reflect on after the event to see how successful they were. Okay. And is there something about a routine in this, Stu, where somebody has done this, you know, I've listened to a particular song or a particular type of music every time I've rehearsed, every time I've gotten training, and the routine of it is part of the calming. Does that contribute to it at all? Yes. I, 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 I think um, undoubtedly we all start to find routines that um, – provide comfort and just put us in a good space and we're, we're searching for those again as in the evolution of what I do and what what the coaching team does is to help people to connect with those very best performances what did they do on those days things went right what did they do that gave them that sense of freedom just to express themselves as athletes and not to choke up and and get overcome by the by the emotion of the day and and to capture those and yeah, uh, those habits can be built and, and you know, many, many stories of uh, different sports, whether it's golf or swimming and things like that, people following processes that they've, you know, they've, they've used all their careers. Um, so very important that people find those things to ground themselves in, in times of high emotion. Okay, I love it. Absolutely. All right, so then let's talk about the other side of emotion, which is the resilience piece. And every time I've listened to top athletes speak or I've talked to a professional coach or sports coach, injury in setbacks, you didn't make the team, you didn't make the cut, you missed the goal you were hoping for, you missed the shot. I mean, it's just inevitable. So how do you help people prepare and be resilient? Well, you're entirely right, of course. And the thing to remember with uh, with an athlete, uh, one advantage they have is that they have very real feedback on their performance. So when you lose, you lose. Uh, there's no two ways about it, uh, as opposed to somebody in a creative space where they suffer the difficulties of, of subjectivity. You know, whether they are good or bad, it's it's only somebody's view. There's no right. uh, no actual results. So so one of the advantages is you get direct feedback. One of the disadvantages is um, there's only one winner yeah. to a race. <laughs> so by dint of that, most of the time you're failing if you want to see it in those ways. And, of course, it's critically important, again, from an early age to get athletes to see things differently. You know, parents and, and other people around tend to see races about are you going to win missing the point that winning for an athlete is about being the best they can be on that day um and there's a terrific quote by ian thorpe who's a famous australian swimmer and he you know he said um for him he never lost a race because uh losing wasn't about coming second it was about getting the best out of himself in the water on that day so provided he applied himself and his routines and his process to the very best of his ability, the result, the outcome, will be what it'll be. He can't control others around him who may be having a good day. He can't control if something happens, you know, if his goggles fill up with water or something like that. Uh, he can only apply himself to be the best he can be. Interestingly, on the, the water in the goggles, uh, that's something that our athletes are routinely taught to do to, to overcome adversity like that to prepare for things that can happen during a race. But, you know, you can only be the best you can be on the day. And if you get a good result, that's fantastic, you know, in terms of other people's measures. If you get a result that's um, as best you could hope for based on what you've done, then that's that's victory. That's what we're looking for. 
And in that way, everybody can always take positive things out of their experience. And that's what we really want to try and encourage. This, I mean, it's, it is obvious once you say it, but it does remind me as I work with people inside organizations, and one of the big issues is I want to get a promotion. A promotion is an external validation that you're at a particular place in time. Not everybody's going to get promoted just because there's not that many seats, as in everybody isn't going to win. And it is, if that's your only motivation is to get that title or that job or that salary level, it's not very motivating, doesn't work very well. But when you can turn to a more internal motivation, intrinsic motivation of I want to improve my performance in this, or I want to be the best that I can be in this particular event, or I want to deliver the best sales performance I can in this quarter, I think it becomes a lot more motivating and it keeps you going for the long run. And you're saying the same thing is true about athletes. 100%. Absolutely agree. Okay. All right. So you're working with a world-class athlete. They're on track to be an Olympic competitor, perhaps even win gold, and they have an injury. How do you help them deal with that injury? How do they deal with that injury? (laughs) Well, sooner or later it's going to happen. Um, and some athletes you can work with and they seem to be very resilient um, and then suddenly they can get an injury and in many ways if they haven't experienced what comes with that at an early age it can hit them quite hard Um, and I think it's fair to say you know athletes deal with injuries in different ways there are certain characters who I wouldn't say they've got a death wish but they have this personality that leads them to situations where they seem to put themselves in harm's way more regularly than others um you know and that's just just part of those characters and really all we can do there is to help them develop awareness obviously to to look at the behaviors and habits that they've formed maybe in their training and how they go about their exercise to help them consider where they're always working for them Um, you get others that are getting injured maybe because they're um, not fully aware of the journey that they're on. Um, it's well documented that you know a lot of high performers are sometimes working um, to a very high level because of adversity that they've suffered during their lives. And you know, without getting too into a deep psychological um, piece, there, I think again you end up with people injuring themselves because they're not necessarily conscious and behaving in a way that you would want of a of a top athlete with no judgment attaching to that. We're all on a journey. And it, again, it's it's about helping those individuals to understand why it's happening, to take ownership of themselves and the things that they do and the, um, the things that they uh, suffer as a result of those decisions. And and, and one of the big things we, 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 we try and say to people is that, that you know, a great definition of intelligence um, uh, is, is the ability to adapt to change. And, and what we want is when mistakes happen we we absolutely want mistakes we create an environment where failure becomes routine not that we want to call it failure it's a learning experience but that getting out of your comfort zone and resilience that's all about at least two or three times a week an athlete is going to be put on the edge of of where comfort is and they are in a situation where they may well not succeed in the way that that, that other people would judge it, whether it's missing a time or or doing something like that. The thing about injury, it is so debilitating. It's so difficult to deal with. It's so emotional. You know, if you can't train when you desperately want to train, you're on this purpose journey. 
but it always has a potential upside, and that is to help you understand who you are, why it's happening, what you really want out of life, take ownership of the reasons for that accident or that injury, and let's try and make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and that's that's valuable. There's always good that comes out of adversity. And that's what we're trying to help these guys understand. I love the statements. So you said that you want mistakes, not that you're trying to push people to, to disasters, but that it's the failure is the routine. And that two to three times a week, an athlete's going to be on the edge of comfort. Mm. Wow. And that, There's no, you know, that's it's an incredible thing, isn't it? It is incredible. That just says we don't push ourselves in daily life nearly hardly enough if we want to be top performers. You and I know that. You know, <laughs> instinctively we know that. We all, we can't, even those of us who want to develop and be the best we can be, can't help sometimes. Yeah, it's good to stay in a comfort zone for, for a period sometimes for a bit of rest and recovery. But, yeah, if you want, if you want great things in your life, you have to keep pushing on, and uh, that's just the reality of it. Okay. All right. I love it. And I think we're right back to this notion that when you have a sense of why you're doing what you're doing, what's the purpose and what's the journey that you're on and a sense of the intrinsic reasons I'm doing this and how it is that I become the best that I can be, whether that means I win the race or I don't win the race. Um, those are the things that keep you getting back and going again and going again and going again. And it's not unlike the innovators that we were talking about earlier. Okay, so let's take a break again. Um, with me today is Stuart Wilkinson. Stuart's company is Iron Leaf. He works with businesses to help them achieve real growth through a commitment to world-class performance. And as you've heard, he also works with athletes, particularly young athletes, helping them be the best that they can be and compete even all the way up to the Olympic level. When we come back, I want to shift this discussion from the athletic world and get Stu's perspective on how much all of this applies in the business world and how and why. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Stuart Wilkinson, and we have been talking about what it takes for top athletes to succeed and compete all the way up to the Olympic levels. And one of the fascinating things about this is, for me at least, is the understanding of how much the intrinsic motivators, it's not about winning the race so much as it is being sure that I did my best performance, the best I could do on this particular day, because I can't control whether somebody else is having a good day or a bad day or inevitable events that go wrong along the way. Fascinating to me how strong that intrinsic motivator is. So let's turn now, Stu, because you also, in your current company, Iron Leaf, help businesses try to achieve world-class performance. And you work with mostly small to mid-sized enterprise leaders. Are there similarities with athletes? And if so, how? That's, um, yeah, that's a very, very, very interesting question. Um, And I think the big difference between athletes and the leaders that I work with is uh, really about environment and culture. Um, It's really the backdrop to what they're doing. Uh, If you think about a young athlete, they're, they're engaged in a, I mean, the beauty of the of the world, it's it's enclosed. It's, um, you, you, you know, you're boxing in a pool early in the morning, long before other people are out of bed and, and working with these guys. And you get good quality time at the start or maybe um, at the end of a set to for the coach to talk to them about what they've been doing and to put things in perspective. And then I will spend, you know, uh, a lot of time, uh, maybe over a coffee in the cafe, chatting to guys about their journey, reflecting on what's going on. That those are unique environments where people have time and space um, to to get messages across and to help people to learn. What I find with uh, guys in business um, is that very often um, they're running against time. Um, they've got a very short-term view of things because other people are driving them to that, whether it's shareholders or or staff and things like that, they, they get a lot of frustration with people around them um, and to some extent get overwhelmed by um, cultures that may not always be as positive as they would like. Very often it's not about being negative, just just complacent. They've just got into habits. They've, you know, to take, take your phrase, they've got into a comfort zone and, and now they've forgotten how to get out of it. And um, so, you know, they're human. They, they, they have the potential to be exactly like an athlete. But I think they start with a body of experience um, that has conditioned their behaviors and the way they think. And then they are existing in an environment that very often is not conducive to, to growth and to being the best they can be. Okay. So how do you help them then achieve top performance? I mean, is it, is it the journey about getting them out of their comfort zone or is it something else? For sure, it is about challenge. Uh, and the first differentiator between those people who truly want to 
be better, uh, be the best they can be. Uh, and those who say it but don't really want it is whether they can take challenge. Going back to our model, um, you know, and the idea of a coach or idea of somebody to change them, a lot of uh, these guys and, and women running these smaller businesses just don't have necessarily the teams and people around them to give them the challenge they need to to grow and, and see things differently. As I say, they're so consumed in the doing they're not reflecting on why things are happening or how they can change and taking on board new thinking and ideas. And that's a very, very big limiter for smaller businesses and probably why they are small. All right. So this time to stop, get out of the doing, having somebody who's challenging you, pushing you out of your comfort zone, as we just heard from athletes, two to three times a week, you're going to be out of your comfort zone. I don't know if the business leaders do that, but a little bit out of your comfort zone and the time to reflect, to learn, to think about other possibilities. Um, That sounds really important. How about purpose? I mean, we talked a lot about how important purpose was for athletes. How about for business leaders? Yeah. (laughs) Where do I start? If I go back to the model of um, performance and motivation you know the first point we have here with businesses is that they are consumed with performance just consumed if if you sit down with a ceo and and a team and talk about the correlation of motivation to performance they will get it as a concept and nod furiously but immediately slot straight back into the idea that you get great performance by focusing on performance so we want to be setting targets. We want to be setting you know, penalties for missing targets or rewards for hitting targets. We want to be defining our purpose as numbers and outcomes. We're doing everything that is opposite to what we're trying to do with performance athletes. We want them not to be focusing on the outcomes. We want them to be focusing on the processes. So this is a terribly poor backdrop. That goes all the way back to the Industrial Revolution and the sticking carrot idea that doing simple work, if you pay people a bit more, they'll work a bit harder. And if they're not working hard enough, you give them a kick and and that will sort things out. I mean, it's fine, but work has changed and the nature of what we're doing has changed to be much more cognitive. And and, uh, again, going back to Dan Pink's book, uh, the science shows that if you make everything about the reward, people will focus on the reward and not the work. And um, that is a very poor backdrop to trying to get uh, businesses to see things differently. Of course, if they do start to engage in this idea of we'll focus on what motivates people, of course, very quickly we come to purpose um, in the context of a corporate. Um, and one of the big the big uh, responsibilities of a leader for a business is to establish direction. And to my mind, that is establishing purpose. And if they go through that process, and one of the things that we do at Ironleaf is to help companies to understand their purpose by understanding who they are uh, through brand identity, if you want. So, you know, what's true to that business, what's compelling to the customer uh, and what's different from your competition. You know, if we, if we focus on those things, we start to alight on purpose that, that, that really is meaningful and simple for people to understand. So in an athletic way, our athletes arrive, they know the purpose is to be the best they can be. That's it. There is no perfection. There is only the journey to be the best you can be. If a, if a, a corporate, a, a company of any size can define their, their purpose in a handful of words that people can latch onto, they then don't need a big list of values. They don't need a big mission statement. They certainly don't need to be told that the purpose of the company is to make X million. That's not motivating to anybody other than potentially the shareholders. 
So it's really about finding a rich, motivating purpose with a with a with a business, and that really establishes the direction for for behaviours and people to get behind, and people start to get excited when they they get that journey set out by a leader. You know, so we know this because we've talked about it on multiple occasions and done a whole bunch of different conversations about it. But there's, I think, there's just an awakening now about the power of purpose and the what it means to have a sense of purpose. Do you have a process that you take business leaders for to help them understand what purpose means in their organization? Yes, we do. Uh, we do, and and as I said, it's very much uh, around uh, exploring the truths of the business. Uh, so we'd be sitting with the leader and uh, key members uh, of the leadership team uh, or people within the business, people um, who have an understanding of history. So it may not be the leader, it may be somebody who's been in the business a long time who can talk about where this business started. Somebody at some point started this business with a vision, something that was really motivating in their mind. Um and those stories and truths as to what people love about coming to work and, and what's great, obviously there's always things that people get frustrated with, but if we can connect with those exciting truths of the business and then help them to find out what's compelling and distinctive in those truths, as I say, compelling to the customer and distinctive from the competition, you can go through an exercise and a colleague of mine, Keith Bailey, who's got a um, history of working with um, big multinational companies goes through a creative exercise to to define the purpose in a, in a handful of words that really connects with people and when you get it right you know you get it right because people get super excited and that's the power of it once you've got it then you put that on the wall and you point to it every time you get a piece of behavior that's not in line you just point and people get it in the same way as an athlete if they do something that is obviously not going to help them to be the best they can be it's 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 obvious for them to see that and puts them back in direction of, of the way they should be behaving. So it's a very powerful process. It's very exciting for the team. They feel um, engaged and excited as a result of it. And then that allows you to take that into your strategy thinking. And then finally, when you start to spend money in the execution, the thinking is done, the focus is clear, people start to get motivated and excited about the journey, just the same way athletes get excited about their personal journey. Okay. Boy, that sounds interesting. All of a sudden, that sounds like getting the execution is not going to be all that difficult because we've done the hard work on the front end to be prepared for it. Oh, and of course, go to an athlete. The racing's fun. It should be fun. You've done the hard work. You've gone through all the out of the comfort. This is the chance to express yourself and be excited. And it's, it's incredibly exciting to see people enjoy that. And this is the point about execution. Businesses are in such a hurry to spend and get marketing done and these sorts of things without doing the thinking, without sitting back and just drawing breath and contemplating, reflecting on actually what are they trying to achieve and how to achieve it. Unfortunately, business leaders just acquire these beliefs over time according to the environments they've been brought up in and the, um, the variability of their education. And then suddenly you get a world, as we have today, moving super quick and they are finding it very, very difficult to, to latch on to something, to hold on to that will give them confidence for the, for the longer term. And it has to come back to people. It has to come back to that obligation of a leader to establish direction, align their people behind that. You know, if it's not what people want in the organization, then, you know, fine, they can go somewhere else. But they've got to get people aligned behind it and then inspire and motivate them. And where do we go? Back to motivation, back to autonomy, mastery and purpose. 
making sure that their people are given the, the chance to, to take ownership of what they do and to make mistakes and to celebrate and share those and make sure we learn from them and to, to be the best they can be in terms of, of, of the work that they do and to obviously follow the purpose of the business. Excellent, Stu. It's fascinating to me. I'll come back to where you started at the beginning of this one, where you're talking about performance by motivation. And you said a very important thing about business, that we spend all of our time looking at performance, the metrics of performance, the numbers of performance, the financial returns of performance, the rewards and punishments around performance. And we spend virtually no time looking at the motivation. And you find with athletes that the motivation is really the big driver And then the mechanics of the performance come from that one. So this is just a call, an imperative call, I think, for leaders to stop and understand what's the motivation behind what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve, getting people excited and aligned behind what it is we're trying to do beyond make money. Oh, if if there's nothing else anybody can take away from, from this, please just sit down and contemplate that model. That if you get people in a room and talk to them about motivation, they will instinctively understand that with no motivation, there's no performance. And with high motivation, there's high performance. It's intuitive. It's instinctive. Anybody you put in a room, whether it's a team or an individual, will come up with the same answer. Great. You really will. That's excellent. <clears throat> All right, Stu. With me today is Stu Wilkinson. And unfortunately, Stu, we are out of time. It's a pleasure to have you with it on the show. Join us next week for yet another episode of how you can get out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.